this morning that our God is merciful and compassionate. Almighty God is a merciful and kind God. We see in Jonah that he shows mercy to Jonah, that he shows mercy to Nineveh. And that is the point of this book. We're not supposed to be reading Jonah just to make Jonah a bad guy or just to see how he's a failure, but that God continues to work not only with Jonah, who is a failure, but also with Nineveh, who is filled with wicked people, just as our cities are to this day. God is not only merciful and compassionate to Jonah, he's compassionate to Nineveh, but he's also compassionate to us. And so when we read this book, we should see ourselves not only as Ninevites, but also as Jonas. We're both. None of the people in this book deserve God's grace, and none of the people in this room deserve God's grace. If we deserved it, it wouldn't be grace. It would be merit. Somebody works for a wage, you pay them for the wage. We didn't work for salvation. It's given away freely to us by God. And this morning there is mercy right here in the very first verse of chapter 3. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The word of the Lord comes to Jonah a second time. Jonah the prophet was all washed up, (laughs) like literally. Thank you, Lisa. I appreciate you getting my joke. He was literally all washed up. He just got vomited, which sounds extremely unpleasant, onto the shore of who knows where. We don't know. Hopefully, Lord dropped him off somewhere close to Nineveh. But as I said last week, the fish was his deliverance. And sometimes our deliverance is not exactly the deliverance we prayed for. Like I said, maybe Jonah was hoping a lifeboat or something might come get him. He wasn't thinking, I'm going to spend three days in the belly of a fish, and there ain't but one way, well, there might be two ways, but there's only, there ain't no good way to get out of this fish. And so he was vomited up on the shore, an all-washed-up prophet, and maybe he thought, well, I'm done. I'm done. The Lord told me to go to Nineveh. I didn't go, but he's rescued me, and now what do I do? What do I do? I'm all washed up. It reminds me of Abraham, what the Lord does here, because the Lord comes to him in verse 2. It says, get up, go to that great city of Nineveh and preach the message that I tell you. He tells him the exact same thing he told him in chapter 1. Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach the message which I've given you. Now then, two chapters later, and at least three days in the belly of a fish, he finds himself on the shore, and the Lord comes to him a second time, tells him the same thing. Get up, go to Nineveh, preach what I'm going to tell you. The Lord is gracious like this. This is not the only time that the Lord has been compassionate and come to people with his word for a second time. We studied this in Genesis. Remember Genesis chapter 15? Of course, when I said Genesis chapter 15, everybody knows exactly what I'm talking about, maybe. Genesis chapter 15 is right after Abraham has gone against the kings that fought against Sodom. So he goes and he whips the kings that fought against Sodom and he makes them upset because he had to rescue his nephew Lot, right? And here comes the king of Sodom to thank him and he insults him. He said, I swore by my God with an uplifted hand I wouldn't take a sandal strap from you lest you say I made Abraham rich. So king of Sodom's not his friend. And neither are the people he just defeated. He doesn't have any friends in the land and he ain't got no son. Ain't got no. I'm preaching now. He doesn't have a son like God promised him. He's been in the promised land for years. The Lord called him when he was 70. He's over 90 years old. What's he going to do? And the word of the Lord comes to Abraham a second time. 
He says, come outside and look. And he tells them the same thing. Look at the stars in the sky. Count them if you can. That's how your descendants will be. Look at the sand in the desert. If you can count the sand, that's how your descendants are going to be. He tells him the same thing he'd already told him when he called him out of Ur the Chaldeans. He said, it may have been a long time, but I haven't forgotten you. The word of the Lord came to him a second time. I think about Peter. Peter was there at the Lord's Supper, and everybody's saying, I'm not going to leave. I'm never going to leave. I'll never abandon you. And Peter, what does he say? Lord, even if I have to die with you, I will never leave you. And Simon said, the Lord says this to Peter, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you, to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Strengthen your brothers when you've turned again. A little later on, Peter's denied Jesus. He's wept in the garden. Jesus is gone. Peter's gone back to fishing. He looks up and he sees somebody on the shore. And they yell, put your net on the other side. You'll catch some fish. They did it. Peter realized who it was. How did he know? Because Jesus already did this once. Remember when he first met Jesus? Was fishing, said, we fished all night, we haven't caught nothing, but at your word, we'll put the nets down. And they did. And they caught the fish, and Peter said, Lord, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. Here he is again. Same spot, same thing. Peter jumps out of the boat, comes to him. Jesus has prepared for them a meal. He's cooking fish, and he says, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me? Peter said, Lord, you know I love you. And what did Jesus say? Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And what had he told him before he betrayed him? Strengthen my brothers. Same message. The word of the Lord came to Simon Peter a second time. Came to Abraham a second time. Came to Jonah a second time. Maybe some of us in here need a word from the Lord the second time. And what I mean by that is maybe you've come to a place where you need the Lord to ignite your heart again. Remember that your job is to feed his lambs, to tell his gospel, to strengthen your brothers and sisters. That's what we're called to do. Maybe you're all washed up on the inside. And the Lord is not done with you yet, even as he was not done with Jonah yet. So here comes the word of the Lord to you, Jonah. Here comes the word of the Lord to you, Ninevite. What does the Lord say? I want you to notice verses 4 and 5. Jonah had the easiest sermon. I'm so jealous. This is, y'all could get out. Man, we could be out in five minutes. Look at this sermon. Jonah sat out on his first day of the walk of the city. Remember, it's a three-day journey. In 40 days, Nineveh will be demolished, says the Lord. That's the easy sermon. One sentence on the first day. It's a three-day walk. We don't even know if he made it all the way around. All we know is after the first day, people heard it and went, whoa, God's going to destroy Nineveh in 40 days. We need to repent. So people start repenting everywhere. It's a great revival that Jonah hated. We'll get to that next week. But I want you to see here in verse 4 and 5. Look at this. So verse 4 Jonah sat down on the first day of his walk, walked in the city and proclaimed, In forty days Nineveh will be demolished. Then the people of Nineveh believed God. Look at that. 
it doesn't say that the people of Nineveh believed Jonah. It says that the people of Nineveh believed God. The Apostle Paul said this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 5, For we are not proclaiming ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord. It was not Paul's gospel. It was the gospel that Paul preached. He did not own the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. Paul preached Jesus' word. When we believe the word of Paul, we're not believing Paul, we're believing Jesus. Though, of course, we are also believing Paul because he agreed with Jesus. But it's not his gospel it's the Lord's gospel. So when Jonah preached 40 days and God will overthrow, it was not Jonah's message. He didn't even want to preach the message. It was God's message to the people of Nineveh. And when they heard it, they repented. And Jonah calls us, I mean, God calls us to do the exact same thing that he called Jonah to do. We have a message. He had a message. What's your message? And this message isn't about us. It's about Jesus. It's not our message the Lord's message. Jesus said, what you see now in the dark, one day you will proclaim from the rooftop. Right? That's, that's you and me. So you look at Jonah and you say, oh, what a lousy prophet. He didn't want to go to Nineveh, so he went to Tarshish because he didn't want to preach to these people. Well, do you? Do you want to preach this message? I don't know that we've been given a word certain about when the overthrow is happening, but the overthrow's coming. This world's going to be overturned. It's going to be overthrown. The governments of this world will be nothing because King Jesus is coming to rule and reign. Heaven is coming to earth. Everything is changing. There's an overthrow coming. The prince and the power of this heir and all of his minions are gone. And everyone who serves their own interests and not the interests of the Lord, they're going to be gone. And overthrow's coming. And God has called us to go into the world with this message that's bigger than the message of Jonah. One who is greater than Jonah is here, is what Jesus said. And he called on Jonah to go to Nineveh. You can go to Albertville and preach this. And the Bible says here that Nineveh was a great city. It was a city, Gedola. That's, that's Hebrew for big. You can remember a Hebrew word, but a Gedola, big. Later on, Jonah gets a big mad after this. A Gedola mad. That's real mad. A big city, huh? You want to know how big Nineveh was? Bible says at the end that there was 120,000 adults there. My, what a city. 120,000 adults. 2017, Huntsville, Alabama had 194,585 people. Huntsville, Alabama. Does anybody think Huntsville, that great city? One is greater, one is here who's greater than Jonah. You think Jonah had a big job preaching in Nineveh? We probably got a third of Nineveh in rural Albertville. Think about that. Where are you going to go preach? You think, Nineveh, you think Jonah was a, a wimpy bad prophet because he wouldn't tell people God's message? Well, what are you doing, Jonah? And who are you telling? You think they won't change? Jonah thought they wouldn't change. You think they're not worthy of change? Jonah thought Nineveh shouldn't get preached to because they deserved the judgment that was coming. He forgot that we all deserve the judgment that's coming. You got a message and you got a people and you got a place and you ought to tell them about Jesus. And if you read this passage and you think, man, I would never do what Jonah does, have you, do you, are you Jonah? Who are you telling about Jesus? You don't have to tell 120,000 people. We just ask you to tell one. Have you told them yet? What are you waiting for? Jonah's 
tell the Lord, I, I was going to go preach in Nineveh, but I just didn't feel like the timing was right. <laughs> When's the timing going to get right? Well, I'll just sort of feel it. When they're feeling maybe a little toward repentance, then I'll go preach to them. When we're having a good conversation where it ain't awkward, I'll just sort of slip in. Oh, hey, how you doing? How's your wife? How's your kids? What you doing for lunch? By the way, in 40 days, God's going to destroy this place. Just try to sneak that in there when it's convenient. By the way, there's no other way by which people can be saved except through the name of Jesus Christ the Lord. And if you're not with him, you're against him. And one day a great overthrow is going to happen and this world will burn. Good news. That was Jesus' sermon. Repent and believe the good news. What's the good news? That God so loved the world that he's given his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's the gospel we preach and believe. Repent and believe. And that's what the people of Nineveh did. They heard the Lord was bringing disaster on them. And they repented. So do you need to repent? What is in your heart this morning? Is it repentance? You need to examine your heart. Are you in the faith at all? Are you in Christ? How can you know? I'm talking to everybody here, myself included. The Bible says we ought to test ourselves to see whether or not we're in the faith. Are you in Jesus? Jesus said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So look at your heart this morning and think, am I hungering for righteousness? Do I want righteousness? And do I realize it is forever out of my reach? Apart from Jesus, who is my righteousness. Do you have a hunger for Christ and his gospel? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the humble, for they shall inherit the earth. How will you inherit? Only because of Christ. Do you have a repentant heart? Who is sorry? For the evil you've done and the evil you are. The selfishness that not only you've done, but that you still feel in your heart. That every single day, you have to get up before the throne of God and offer yourself as a living sacrifice. Every day, putting sin to death. As John Owen said, be killing sin, or it will be killing you. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? On the outside, you might be washed and clean, but on the inside, have you torn your robe? Put dust on your head and said, who knows? Maybe God will relent of this disaster that I deserve. And he will do it. Do you feel in your heart you have repented and that you seek righteousness? Where is your heart? So get your heart right. It's like this morning we talked about before we offer any money to the Lord, we should first offer ourselves. If you're not offering yourself to the Lord, you're not going to give any offering to this church. You're going to be stingy with your money if you're not offering yourself to the Lord. You want to know if you're seeking righteousness, you've offered yourself to the Lord, check your checkbook, see where your money goes. I'm not talking about if you've gotten a financial straight and a disaster, you don't have, you've lost your job, you've got yourself overhead and underwater. I'm talking about those of us who are, have the means to give, do you do it? Or are you keeping it for you? Where's your kingdom? Where's your heart? Are you seeking righteousness? Are you seeking Christ? Have you repented? What's in your heart? 
know, on the ship to Tarshish. The Bible says here that the king of Nineveh stood up off his throne, took off his royal robe, and put on sackcloth and sat in ashes. You're not the king of Nineveh. You got more than he had. If you've got air conditioning and fast food, those are two things the king of Nineveh could never have dreamed of having. You say, I don't like fast food that much. Well, have you ever ate at Nineveh? You don't know how good we've got it. You can go to Giovanni's anytime you want. That's amazing. Food, a grocery store, air conditioning when it's cold, excuse me, when it's hot, heater when it's cold. You got more riches than anything the king of Nineveh could buy. He took off his royal robes. He put on sackcloth. He issued a decree. He said, look, we're going to repent from the top down. I'm not joking. I'm off the throne. I'm on sackcloth and ashes. Everybody else put on sackcloth and ashes. And that ain't enough. Go put sackcloth on the cows. Put sackcloth on the cows and nobody eat and don't let the cows eat. If the cow tried to chew some grass, whoop him. Nobody's eating. From the cows to the top to the throne, we are going to repent before the Lord. Maybe he will relent from this disaster that he thinks about doing to us. And the Bible says here, God saw their actions that they had turned from their evil ways, so God relented from the disaster he had threatened them with, and he did not do it. You ever heard any language like that before? See, God is treating the people of Nineveh as if they were his own covenant people. And they're not. They're not Israel. They're outside Israel. Gentiles. In fact, enemies of his people. Assyrians. That's who the Ninevites are. Nineveh is the capital of Assyria who came and took the north of Israel into captivity. This is who this people is. That's why Jonah didn't like them. God told Israel, you've heard this probably a hundred times, 2 Chronicles 7, 14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear, hear from heaven and forgive their land and heal them. Forgive this people and heal their land. And in fact, this wording that the king of Nineveh uses and the fact that God says in chapter and verse 10, they had turned from their evil ways. It's the same language that we see in 2 Corinthians Chapter 7, verse 14, where he says, If my people who are called by my name will repent and humble themselves and forsake their wicked ways. This is exactly what the people of Nineveh did. And the Lord saw from heaven he relented. He didn't bring the disaster he brought, even though he owed them nothing. He had never given to Nineveh the promises of 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. Never uttered a word of a prophet through the Assyrians. They had never heard this word. They didn't know. All they knew in 40 days is that the God of Israel was going to come destroy them. And that was enough for them. And it was enough for God that they repented. It didn't matter if they were circumcised, uncircumcised, if they were Jew or Greek or slave or free. It didn't make any difference. When they humbled themselves before the Lord, he kept a promise to them that he'd never made. That's what's so shocking about this passage. That's what's so shocking about this book. It's not just about promises that God's made to Israel. Israel might as well be the world because if anyone forsakes their wicked way and follows the Lord God of Israel, he will hear their cry from heaven and he will save them. His eyes, even this morning, roam to and fro throughout the land to see who he can show himself strong to. 
Jew loves him and loves his word. Doesn't matter where, doesn't matter who. That's the message we're called to give to people. This is what, not just what I'm supposed to preach, this is what you're supposed to say. God has put this word in your mouth. You're like Isaiah the prophet. Walk in and say, Lord, who will go? I, I'll go, Lord. This is what Isaiah said. Angel took the coal from the tongue of the altar, touched it to his lips, and said, you've been made clean, now go preach. Hey, you're not going to get an angel touching your lips with a burning coal, but what will happen is Jesus Christ will send you the Holy Spirit and set your heart on fire. Then you've got to go tell somebody. If you hadn't done that, maybe you're asleep on the shore and all washed up. And I'm just here today to tell you the word of the Lord come to you a second time and come to you again next week and keep telling you this is what you're supposed to be doing. God did this for Nineveh, the enemy of his people, and he kept promises to them he'd never made. But every promise of God to you this morning, listen to me, is yes and amen in Jesus. Every single promise. There's a, there's a disaster coming. A disaster for those who are outside of Christ. A disaster for the world. At least its system is going to be overthrown. Some of your neighbors are caught in the middle of it. Searching for their own thing. And you know what? It's creeping in your life too. Just think about you and yours and not theirs. We get upset. We get caught up in the world. We forget, hey, we got to shake this off. There's a kingdom out here. Bitten, lulled to sleep. We're going out there and you get hit by the world, by sin, by problems. And it fogs our mind like a boxer. Take a hook to the chin. Takes him a minute to remember where he is and what he is. But you're not out of the fight yet. You can still do this. Repent. Relent. And the Lord will relent from what he said. Like I said, God was concerned for 120,000 people of Nineveh. What did he think about the 195,000 in Huntsville, the 30,000 in Albertville? How many is in Marshall County? This morning, people, we talk, we make joke that there's a church on every corner. And I've said this before. That's a bad joke. Because if every church in Albertville, if half, Albertville decided we're going to go into the house of the Lord today. All our churches wouldn't hold them all. They'd be standing in the road. It's not too many. It's not enough. And we're in the Bible Belt. And we're not even a big area. We're rural. That's fun to say. You ought to say rural ten times fast. It's about Birmingham. Montgomery, New York City, all those great cities, all his people of God commissioned like Jonah, <laughs> and all of them acting like Jonah. Where's your heart this morning, brother? Where's your heart, sister? What are we called on to do? I got great hope for you and those around you. God is merciful and compassionate. He never left you. He hasn't gone to him too. He promised he would never leave nor forsake you. No matter what. Even when we are faithless, the Bible says, he is faithful for he cannot deny himself. 
We need to be about the kingdom. We need to be about the souls. They're out there, lost. You got a message from the Lord. You got a word from the Lord this morning. I didn't make it up. It's nothing you can't find in the scripture. But you're a Christian, you're his son, you're his daughter, it's your word. He's laid it right here in your heart. That Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is no one like him. We ought to share it. This morning I think about, as I prayed this morning, I thought about Chris Todd and Kim and their family in Lebanon. This morning, I know what Chris is doing. If he's not in the streets, I, you, you've seen him on Facebook, I hope. They're out there burning tires, protesting the tyranny of government, and the man took a lawn chair. A dude from Alder Springs, for goodness sake, Alder Springs, Alabama, sat in a lawn chair in the middle of political upheaval. We'd all be saying, what's going to happen? What's going on? We're going to get beat up? We, he's sitting in a lawn chair ask, with a sign says, could I pray for you today? <laughs> He's sitting there thinking, how can I reach the people of Tyre, this great city, who don't know their right hand from their left? That's what he's doing this morning. What are you doing? What are we doing? And if you talk to him about it, he'd think he's not doing enough. He could probably do better. I could tell you some other people. I mean, when Pastor Rejoice, when they want to start a church in Tanzania and Dar es Salaam, how do they do? Send out a demographic survey? Is that what they do? They rent a tent if they can afford one, and they just preach until people get saved. <laughs> That's what they do. And I don't know if they've ever failed to start a church. The Lord will forgive us this morning for our sloth. He will forgive us for getting on the boat to Tarshish, even if we get on it three days a week. And his commission to us will never change. The word of the Lord comes to us the second time, the third time, the fourth time, the fifth time, every day. And it doesn't just come for us to tell the people of Nineveh. It comes to us Jonas to remind us that we're not forsaken. Even at the end of this book, as we'll see next week, God is so tender and kind to Jonah, the rebellious prophet. We see his heart not only for Jonah as he reasons with him, but for the nations. Should I not care about that great city? Think about that this morning. Examine your heart. Do you hunger and thirst for righteousness? Do you long to see Christ lifted up in our community, in our world? Or have we allowed the petty things of the day-to-day -day of this world to squash our joy, to alienate us from God and the Spirit? Examine yourselves. Let's pray. Father, we pray this morning that you will help.